Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox. And Danger and I are old companions. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner. And you and I are of a kind. Um... In a different reality, we might be friends, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, gotta blow myself up now. See ya. <laughs> Later. Welcome, welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of... Extended deterrence. And hylomorphism. Today we'll be talking about Star Trek and Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which are available on Paramount+. Plus In the next few weeks, Dan, what are we talking about in the next few weeks? We will be picking up Yellow Jackets again. We will be talking about part two of season two. And then I believe we're beginning Pride Month and we will be talking about Jupiter Ascending. Yes, that sounds correct to me too. Having looked at our calendar quite recently, I believe Mm -hmm. you are correct. We have a calendar, everyone. We are. We are we fucking organized. And staff. <laughs> yes, so yes, exactly. I think eventually we'll remember to do our AUAs every month <laughs> at this rate <laughs> and get some well, t-shirts <laughs> out there. We've already done it for May. We're gonna be doing it for June. I'm very confident that we're gonna, you know, we're we're gonna be more consistent from here on. <laughs> All right. Also, eventually we will have have merch that is for sale. I sh- I should add we talk about merch and sort of a joke in a way, but patrons get automatic merch Mm. from Patreon. We have a logo that we paid someone to make. It's a professional logo. Yeah. And if you are a patron for a certain number of months or whatever, like you'll start to get logo stuff. And that, that is merch. That is, and that is a benefit of being a patron. I haven't even brought up being a patron. I was just saying, Anana, how do you become a patron? Well, you go to patreon.com slash space the nation. And there are various levels of support at Mm -hmm. every level of support you get to become a member of our Discord. And that is one of the best things about patronage, at least with respect to Space the Nation. It's a fantastic Discord channel. We often talk about the questions that they raise in the podcast. And if we get to 250 patrons, we will do a patron-only episode of Space the Nation on a topic chosen by you, the patrons, about anything. Doesn't have to be sci-fi. Yep. Could be, you know, you could force us to watch the original Benji. You could A Midsummer Night's Dream. We could do, yeah, like, it, it could be high culture, low culture. I think it does. No video to, games. We, no video we games. ban gaming. Gaming yes. is the only thing. Yeah, that's our one veto on this. That's right. Because be, beyond we just that, don't have the fucking time. No, actually, that's not that's not it. Because we have no. time to do all kinds of stuff. It's just, yeah. I mean, for me, I'm just not good at them. I would say we just, it's not that we lack the time. We lack the hand-eye coordination. <laughs> we both have our very thick glasses on. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Hold on, let me take these off and just squint really hard at the camera. I can go right, Mr. Magoo face. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> Dan, now is the time to tell people about our social media presence, which is, yes. it, it just, it's become more fun and more interesting to talk about as the weeks go on. <laughs> it's true. It's no longer a rote sentence. So... <laughs> How to put this, we are both on Mastodon. I am on Post. I also have a substack called Dresner's World. Anna is on Instagram. Anna also has a website, www.anamariecox.com. I think we should always say www. Oh, we always have to say www. And, and. This big deal. Drum roll. <laughs> and Anna, Space Nation is now on TikTok and YouTube. That is right. That is correct. I mean, it had to happen at some point, right? <laughs> yes. I think it's it's now just kind of law that one has to have a social media presence that involves China. And, there you go. You know, and then YouTube, you know, it's just, it's the overlords. Like Google is responsible for, for I was thinking the other day, like mm-hmm. 
I mean, really, Google is is like the new, not the new monopoly, but like they could fuck up our lives if they wanted to. Like they have a lot of power. <laughs> I mean, Anna, if there's anything I've learned from Elon's, you know, takeover of Twitter, I think, yeah, there's a lot of people who can fuck, up, know, our lives. fuck up our lives. Yeah, unfortunately. But like you can't um, just go to something else besides, I mean, what are you going to do? Go to Bing? Are you going to Bing? Are you going to start binging things, Dan? No. This is a PG rated podcast, <laughs> and I'm just—I'm not going to go there. I'm sorry. I'm just not. All know, right. We well, can, you know what? We'll do, we'll deal with that with Space the Nation After Dark. <laughs> okay. Yes. The, yes, Dan. <laughs> what were you going to say? What were you going to say? I just various binging jokes. Oh, just. <laughs> Bing. It's okay. been a long time. Yep. Oh. oh. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> tell me what binging is like, Dan. <laughs> Dan, how you know are what? you, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> well, now, Anna, I have many mixed feelings. Actually, but I, you know what that actually reminded me of? That original episode of Star Trek, where like one of the women at like on that slave planet asked Kirk, "What is love?" <laughs> Do you remember what I'm talking about? <laughs> so, you know, it's a nice segue. I'm doing yeah. well. How I'm doing you? well. You know what? It's spring. And, you know, speaking of binging, I mean, nature is just out there, at least around here, Anna. And, like, it's full-blown flower season. And it's just really goddamn. Birds bing. Bees yeah, bing. Birds binging. Rabbits bing. definitely binging. Yeah. Dogs uh, trying to bing. You know, do you have yeah. rabbits? We Not personally. But do you get not do you personally, have, like, city rabbits? There are, well, I mean, suburban rabbits, yes, but yeah. there's, there's, it's funny, 10 years ago, there were not many rabbits, and now we actually have pretty large <laughs> rabbit population. To, they tend to populate. That's <laughs> true. I have a confession on it. This is a dark thought, but I have to admit, I like seeing all the rabbits because I always think if shit really hits the fan and like we enter the post-apocalyptic <laughs> Last of Us phase, yellow jackets, you know, like whatever, like then the rabbit population can feed us at least for a short time. All right. Well, I guess I'll just have to eat armadillo. There you go. How are you, Anna? <laughs> I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> Weather-related news, It's it. we have an unusually nice spring still. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Knock on whatever it is that my Mac is made out of. Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm in a – maybe it's the all the binging around me, but I feel pretty, pretty good. <laughs> I'm in a good mood lately. That's good. Yeah. That's very you. good. And I'm in a good mood. To t- I'm, in, I'm in a good mood also because I really enjoyed watching these two episodes. Oh, I'm glad to hear that, Anna. I really I did. Like I had, yeah. you know, sometimes when we watch stuff, mm-hmm. it can feel a little like work. Like Sometimes, yes. You know, I it mean. Did, it did It did during Transformers, let's put it that it, way. <laughs> yeah, Baperal, there were, there were times when I was like, I kind of wish I could tap out, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. gotten what I can out of this movie. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. but this was just thoroughly enjoyable. It was. Like, it it, re- it really reminded me of, to be honest, it reminded me about like how I came to love sci-fi in the first place. Like Star Trek was probably the first science fiction beyond C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. which we will shall not talk about. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> we I can really, talk about it. I really yes. fell in love with, you know? Well, that answers. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Partially the question of why are we doing this? So last year in, in season two, we discussed the first half of season one of Strange New Worlds. And I think it's a safe to say we both 
liked the first half, but I think we kept watching both of us. And the second half, I think, was even better. It really started mm-hmm. getting into its groove. Strange New Worlds is going to be released next month, the second season. And we thought it would be appropriate to tackle at least the season finale from season one, especially since it raises some interesting questions about what makes a Star Trek work in the 21st century. Because it's on the one hand, a very big nostalgia play, but on the other hand, kind of interesting. And also speaking personally, I still need a palate cleanser after watching the end of Picard, Star Trek Picard, which season three was much better than season one or season two. There was a lot of feels involved because they brought back the old Next Generation cast. And yet the ending was extremely frustrating for me and just did not like it. And so felt like I needed to to sort of replenish my yeah, Star Trek. See, like I just I just think I'm not gonna watch it because I've heard like such You're you're more of an original series fan rather yeah. than the next generation. Yeah. Uh, then then Which I, is a I why will actually is, I, that is my why this actually. Yeah, that is and that's fair. And if that's the case, there is no need for you to watch Picard. Absolutely none. Yeah. Interestingly, or not interestingly, depends on how interesting you find me. My You're mom very was interesting. A, <laughs> my mom was a was a Picard lady. Ah, okay. And I, but I've always preferred Kirk. Kirk and and yeah. the original series. Although, what I guess what the irony might actually be is that she's the person who introduced me to Star Trek. Like <laughs> I remember coming home from school before I was a latchkey kid. Mm-hmm. And she would have Star Trek on and like be getting dinner ready or something. And I would watch Star Trek. So this is funny because dinner. my, so I was introduced to Star Trek for by my father. And what I remember about this was that, you know, when I was young, my father was a, was a, was a surgeon and he was in doing his surgical residency when I was a kid, which meant, you know, I didn't see him that much. We would yeah. go to the hospital to have dinner with him and, and things like that. But There were two years where the Air Force intervened and he spent time because of the Barry plan and a variety of things. But we were living in Dayton. He was at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And with the Air Force, he came home every day at five o'clock. It was like normal hours, which was amazing. Like I could actually see my father while I I was still awake. And I remember he was the one who introduced me to Star Trek because he liked it. And yeah, that was that was easily my first exposure to sci-fi. So uh, so, yeah, I have warm feelings about this show. And then, and then after she started working, then Star mm-hmm. Trek was my babysitter. Mm, so yes, it was sort of a, a maternal handoff, or for you, a paternal <laughs> handoff. Yes, very true. Our next question that we need to answer for listeners is: Will this podcast ruin the two episodes for you? Should you listen to this podcast first? First of all, if you're a Trekkie, let's face it, you should have seen these episodes already. I, I seriously doubt that any plot spoilers <laughs> will matter. If not, I question your cons- Trekkie cred. If yeah, you haven't already it, seen. Are you a real Trekkie? You call yourself a exactly. real Trekkie and you haven't seen these? <laughs> and if not, you know, consider becoming a Trekkie. Trekkies are cool. Or Trekkies are at least interesting. And the shows are interesting. I think if you still the decide- are at least interesting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Once again, I come up with the great taglines on it. <laughs> Become a Trekkie, at least we're interesting. Uh, <laughs> I like you downgrade it from cool, too. <laughs> I said they're cool. Okay, let me let me back up. <laughs> yeah, I've got to manage expectations here, Anna. Well, I think but, people will enjoy these yeah. episodes even if they are neither Trekkies nor interested in becoming a Trekkie. Like, I think that's, yeah, actually, let's put it this way. I, I will say this. It probably, it would help you to watch 
Balance of Terror, the Star Trek original series episode, before you watch Quality of Mercy. But you could probably watch, if you watch both of them, you don't even necessarily have to watch anything else. In order oh, they're to both bottle episodes them. in terms of yeah. like the cast and plot yeah. and overarching storylines. Right. I mean, there's a couple of things in the Strange New Worlds episode. That yeah, that otherwise you wouldn't. Lines, but yeah. you don't need to know about them in order to enjoy the episode. And yes. you won't miss anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've been over our previous experience. I think we have. Time to get to story behind the story. So, Anna, we did talk about this a bit in our previous Strange New Worlds episode. Is there anything we need to know about this particular season finale, however? A few things. Okay, good. Well, actually, not just the season finale. We're going to start with the fact that the the original episode, the original series episode, was inspired by something itself. The Enemy Below, a classic submarine movie, movie, which itself is referenced in The Hunt for Red October, which, by the way... As soon as I read that, I was like, I got to see Hunt for Red October again. I, it's one of your favorite movies, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's a, it's yeah, a yeah, great yeah. film. It's the best yeah. sub film ever, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, people yeah. really like The Enemy Below, too. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the season finale was inspired a little bit by the Trials and Tribulations pairing that we talked about before. Which was like, incredibly well done, I have to say. Yeah, it, yeah the Deep Space yeah. Nine revisiting the triples. Yes. They also wanted to do a time travel episode. They, they were thinking about ways to pay homage to the original series. Like, mm-hmm. With this series in particular, I think obviously more than any other Star Trek spinoffs, they are very conscious of the fidelity to the original series. Yes. And there's a retro feel to the show in general, I think. More than any of the other later, more than any other of the sort of this generation's Trek, this one is not really, I mean, it's somewhat serialized, but not really all that much. There's a lot of episodes that are self-contained. And you also, I have, like for me, the original series fan, like you mm-hmm. can skip everything else. <laughs> you can just watch the original series and Strange New Worlds and oh, like, yeah. it's, a, it's a wonderful experience. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to have seen anything else. Yeah. Yes. Showrunner and writer Henry Alonzo Myers had the idea of doing mm-hmm. it this way. And I will also say what I loved about this, which I did not notice the first time I watched it because it had been some time since mm-hmm. I saw Balance of Terror is how much, not just the language, which kind mm-hmm. of you can tell, even if you haven't seen the original one in a while, I do think, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but there are times when they're when they're quoting the original episode, it really feels like they're quoting. <laughs> oh, it's definitely intent. Oh, you mean in oh, terms yeah. of how they read it? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. It, yeah, there's line for line cutting and pasting. There's line for line. Times. But they went back and... I can think the most, the best illustration of how how much they wanted to recreate the original series is that Uhura is wearing the same earrings. Oh, wow. Like the character playing Lieutenant Uhura is wearing the same earrings as in the original episode. But my favorite thing about it, and this is Uh something that I noticed when I was watching, rewatching Balance of Terror, I was like, wait a minute. And I had to Google it. The camera language and the blocking and the Mm -hmm. lighting, because- Mm -hmm. The lighting in this episode, you will notice just as a TV viewer, if you care about that kind of shit, is a little weird. It's Mm -hmm. like darker than other episodes in this same series and a lot of episodes in general of this kind of television. Mm -hmm. So go back and look at the original one, which was sort of famous for this, but all the the light bars Mm -hmm. over people's eyes and whatnot, like they they recreated a bunch of that, which looks weird. (laughs) <laughs> but and it, it was interesting. It look weird. Watching, it's just very noticeable. And it was interesting watching these back to back. It's like when we, when I first saw the season finale, I was familiar enough with Balance of Terror that I didn't need to to watch it again. But I hadn't realized you're right. Like there are very there are certain shots of like Pike on the bridge where it's the exact same 
framing as you would have seen Kirk in 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 the Balance of Terror episode. Same so, body yeah, language, and again yeah. that that very distinctive kind of <laughs> very modern lighting. I don't know; it, it mm-hmm. looks almost like a stage play style lighting mm-hmm. that they had in the yeah. original series, and they sort of mm-hmm. borrow that. So. Yeah. Oh, and then the last thing I guess I'll say is that they always wanted to introduce young Kirk at the end of the season. That was mm-hmm. a plan that the showrunners had from day one, is to figure out a way to get James Tiberius Kirk onto the deck of the Enterprise at some point. Well, one of the thing, clever things I think they did in the in the show is that his br- older brother, Samuel Roy Kirk, is a sort of recurring character, I think, yeah. on, on Strange New World. So uh, you, you sort of knew this was probably coming at some point. Yeah. And... We've seen the trailers for season two. Kirk's going to be back. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Dan, it's sort of an odd question to ask in an episode <laughs> about time travel. True. <laughs> but do, we, do we have a Chekhov's What's It? Yes. Yeah, so in this case, Chekhov's What's It is something that appears in the first act of the show that winds up being relevant in the third act. In this case, I'm going to go with something that originally appears in, I think, the Menagerie episode, but winds up recurring, which is Chekhov's Devastating Radiation Burns. So we know that Pike will face that, but I, I did like the final twist of the Strange New Worlds uh, finale, A Quality of Mercy, where he's not the one who has to deal with it in the end. It would be someone else. And so that's uh, that was, right. I thought, well Which done. we won't say, I guess. We'll say when we get to the plot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to cheat a little or just be overly clever and say Chekhov's Kirk. (laughs) Fair enough. Yes. Right? He goes off. He goes off in the end. I love love it whenever I make that joke. I've made that joke several times about people going off, and it works every time. (laughs) Speaking of something working every time, Dan, you're going to go over the plot, are you not? I am going to go over the plot. So we're going to start, obviously, with Balance of Terror episode, and then we will move into Quality of Mercy. So let's get to Act 1, Run Silent, Run Deep. It's a wedding on the Enterprise between Lieutenant Tomlinson and Ensign Martine. But just as Kirk begins the ceremony, there's a red alert. Monitoring stations along the neutral zone are being pulverized, and it's probably due to the Romulans, who fought a war with the Federation a century ago without ever seeing their adversary. The Enterprise learns that the Romulans have a powerful plasma weapon and the ability to cloak their ships, making them a formidable adversary. They can track the Romulan ship, however, and upon getting a look at them, gosh darn it, if those Romulans don't look an awful lot like Vulcans. This enrages Helmsman Stiles, whose ancestors died in the Romulan Wars and thinks that basically all pointy-eared humanoids look the same. Kirk's orders are to keep the peace, and so he has the Enterprise mirror the Romulan ship's movements to look like a sensor echo. After viewing the wreckage of the outpost, however, both Stiles and Spock argue in favor of attacking the Romulan ship. A fight to prevent a fight, as Kirk puts it. Meanwhile, the Romulan commander broods about the implications of his military victory about the future of war between Romulans and the Federation. Anna, I think Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek Bible, like, I don't know if this actually exists on paper, but at some point, I mean, it's well known that he's basically said no conflicts among the crew. But I think one of the reasons this episode works so well is that it didn't apply here because Styles bigotry and how war tends to produce that kind of behavior makes this episode kind of, you know, more interesting, I think. Yeah, I, I think that it is an interesting dynamic to mm-hmm. throw in. Yeah. I do find it of a piece of the original series generally optimistic view of human nature in a way, though, mm-hmm. because it, it locates bigotry like in a single person coming out of a single experience. Right. right? Right. And not like something systemic. And 
that, and that happens. It's, there is that is a way. Yeah, I would that say bigotry, that, that can be a way that bigotry can be produced. That is a way, to be fair. Yeah, but, it, yeah, 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 but yeah. I think in general, that's what the series tends to communicate: is that if sure. we all just realize each other's humanity or yeah. Vulcanness or humanoidness, mm-hmm. then we would all get along, right? Right, and also, I, I mean, it's, it, it no, as you say, it's an optimistic message. I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with it. I mean, you're right. There are times where it's it's a much more structural cause, but as you say, like both things can be going on. Yeah, both, and, you, and one has to address both things for it to be a lasting solution. Fair but enough. also, you can you can't addressing one can help you address the other. Too, Good, right? Yes. I also thought it was funny. I think he says, "If you're going to be a bigot, go to your room." And I was like, yeah, keep oh, your so bigotry, okay. keep, keep your bigotry in your quarters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah All right, so yeah. it's okay to be a bigot in your quarters. Okay. <laughs> now that really locates it like on an individual level. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, you know, I think like it's I like, mean, I know it's just I'm I'm reading stuff into it, but yeah, you know, I'm I understand what you're saying. Yeah, so I'm, I'm paying attention to that stuff. Speaking of which, only the social justice warrior might notice, but I do like the ways that in which it's the slice of life stuff in the original series that shows how limited the imagination was of the series creators like mm-hmm. because there of the no wedding, people right yeah and right. There's a wedding. okay fair enough yeah, yeah 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 like there's people still getting married like do you think marriage is yes i guess i mean marriage might last but also I'm it's like a ship's wedding yeah. yeah but i don't know i think in some ways that well, ties into like the na- the more naval traditions of this like, well i, I know yeah, that it's intentionally yeah. but also it would have yeah. been interesting if like he was marrying a thruple or something like <laughs> this was the sixties. You're right. Or, you know, it could have been an interspecies wedding. It could have been an Andorian. Well, I just something. think it's, yeah. a, I, I just think that they push the, they push a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. But this is one of the ways that the series and one of the reasons we love it, but the series is very concerned with addressing the social issues of the sixties. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and it, it does limit itself in that way. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to some of the other science fiction, I think that you and I, talk about on this show, which, yes, is wants to address the problems of today, but pushes things a lot further out mm-hmm. in order to talk about the problems of today. It's possible. Let's, I'm going to put a pin in this because I want to finish this episode. And then I would, because I, I actually think there's ways in which this, this episode in particular is actually pretty radical, but not in the, right. in the social ways. But so let, let's, oh, I'm not saying that it has, yeah, there's, there are different places to push things out. And I, I, I look forward to hearing what you have to say. We should probably move on. Yes, let's go. Let's get to act two, the enemy below, or in space. Kirk and the Romulan commander match wits against each other. While the Romulan ship is a powerful weapon and cloaking device, the Enterprise is faster and more maneuverable. After several attacks and counterattacks, feints and counterfeints, the Romulan ship jettisons an old-style nuclear warhead along with debris to make the Enterprise think it's been destroyed and, of course, blow them up. The Enterprise destroys the nuke at point-blank range. I think it was 100 meters off the the (laughs) port bow or something. And yet, you know, it survives because, you know, it's the 23rd century. And then plays dead to try to lure the Romulan ship into an attack. The commander wants to head home, but his powerful underling Decius urges attack. When the Romulan ship decloaks to fire, Kirk orders the phasers to fire, but a coolant leak in the phaser control room incapacitates Stiles and Tomlinson. Spock rescues Stiles and fires the phasers, mortally wounding the Romulan ship. Kirk offers the Romulan commander a chance to surrender, but he says that it is not the Romulan way and engages the self-destruct. The only KII on the Enterprise? One Lieutenant Tomlinson, the boy who was going to get married. Kirk closes the episode by talking to Ensign Martine, who says she'll be fine. Anna, one of the things that 
this show does and this episode does remarkably well is pair Kirk's doubts and fears about whether he's doing the right thing with those of the Romulan commander. And this is the part where I legitimately think this is in some ways a radical episode of television, because what the show does incredibly well is not just demonstrate what the Federation is thinking, but also what's going on in terms of the Romulan ship. You know, it's very there's a general tendency to sort of take the enemy and otherize it, assume that some this it's this homogenous, implacable foe. This episode, and you know, pardon the the joke, it actually humanizes them. Humanoids them. Yes, yes. humanoids yeah. them. But it works as a very effective counter to Styles' bigotry. You know, Styles is all about we know how the Romulans, they're warlike and so on and so forth. But the show takes care to actually show the inner workings of the Romulan ship, and it actually allows you to understand there are other ways of thinking. I, that's the part where I think it's legitimately radical, particularly during the Cold War, to have done this episode where you show an enemy that is supposed to be like a long-lasting enemy, and you make it clear there's stuff going on on the other side. That's the thing that I think is legitimately radical. I don't know if I'd call that... I don't want to make this about you know word choice. So I, Okay, I, fair enough. Yeah, it, I do think that's a cool thing yeah. that it does. I do think it's a somewhat familiar move from other sorts of martial, you know, literature and art, like marital, marital, martial, marital, marital Marshall. is no marital. This is also a marital shit, marital episode, but it <laughs> That's is. true, yes. But this is, the word you're looking for is martial though, yes. The word I'm looking for is martial. Yeah. And I actually, thinking of Inter's game is what I think is one of the most, and I would call that genuinely radical representations. Right, but in terms of, of time, of this quote, episode. quote-unquote humanizing the in- enemy. Absolutely, but remember, this is coming out in the 1960s oh, I, I, during the I peak of the Cold you, War. Providing yeah. the context of the Cold War, yeah, yes, yeah. totally. I completely yeah. agree. I also mm-hmm. think if we're not going to do it in any other point, we should call out Mark Leonard's performance here. Yes, it is. That, no, thank you. Yes, superlative. Yes, it is. It grounds the entire episode. Yeah, it it it. You know, Shatner has his limitations as an actor, <laughs> and. Is one of the miracles of the way that Star Trek works that it manages to to work completely. Like for it, he's still great, right? Yeah, no, Shatter is good in this episode, right? And he's good in this, but he but but Mark Leonard, yeah. When they have great character actors around him, it Mm -hmm. elevates the whole show. Ricardo Montalban also, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. Mark Leonard, this is just one of the finest performances in the entire original series. Yeah, and of course they must have thought so because. He gets brought back. He winds up coming back as Sarek, uh, Spock's father. He's actually the only actor to have played a Romulan, a Vulcan, and a Klingon. Mm-hmm. So and it's a, a little again, bit of trivia there. Yep. And, and again, and a credit so to good. his performance. And, yes. and I, I, yep. I don't, the, the episode would not succeed if it weren't for him. Oh, no, I agree. And in fact, actually, this was one area where we'll, we'll talk about this. The the equivalent of the Mark Lennard character in the Strange New Worlds was less interesting. And that was one of the things I, I noticed. It's I, 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 don't, I agree. I think it was partly the way it was written, but it was just, you're right. Mark Lennard gives a sort of melancholy to the, the Romulan commander's performance. World really, Yes, exactly. It works incredibly well. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the Strange New Worlds episode, Act 3, All Aboard the USS Retcon. Seven years earlier, Captain Christopher Pike is still ruminating over the training accident that he knows will happen in the future, thanks to his encounter with a Klingon time crystal. While the Enterprise is at the neutral zone to help reinforce those very same outputs that we talked about in Balance of Terror, Pike meets a child who he knows will grow up to be one of the cadets killed in that training accident. 
He starts to compose a letter to that boy's father to warn him off, when, whoa, Older Pike appears in his cabin and tells him that he doesn't really want to do that. To prove his point, Older Pike unsheaths the Klingon time crystal and has Pike use it. He's thrust forward seven years to the exact start of the Balance of Terror episode, except that now Pike, and not Kirk, is the captain of the Enterprise. Both Una, number one, and La'an are nowhere to be seen. Kirk confides his temporal predicament to Spock, who believes him after a mind meld. The plot initially unfolds as Balance of Terror did with the Romulan Bird of Prey destroying Outpost 4 again, everyone reacting in shock to the first few of the Romulans, and Erica Ortegas is now playing the role of Styles. The wild card is that this time around, the USS Farragut shows up to assist the Enterprise, captained by one James Tiberius Kirk. In this timeline, Pike's knowledge that things might go badly pushes him to adopt a more dovish position toward the Romulans, with Kirk advocating for more forceful action. On it, maybe I was watching this right after I watched Balance of Terror, but I kind of think this retcon version of Kirk got shortchanged, because it elides Kirk's genuine reluctance in the Balance of Terror episode to fight the Romulan ship. Or am I just reacting in a contrarian way like McCoy would? I don't think McCoy was being contrarian so much as like being being humanist, right? Which is one of, he's the role, he, well, he and Spock are usually the two humanists. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, ironically, humanoidists. I think you're correct. I think mm-hmm. there are multiple weaknesses yeah. Including some plot and continuity stuff in both of these episodes. Mm-hmm. That the writing and acting kind of let everyone get away with that. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> no, like there's various times. Like actually, if you watch the Balance of Terror episode carefully, for example, Kirk is told he can't cross into the neutral zone. Yeah. He then crosses into the neutral zone and it's not talked about and it's all that big of a deal. So and yeah. And then there's it's, like it's, there's there's a <laughs> there's a couple of things like McCoy's speech makes no sense. Right. It's a nice speech, yeah. but it it the point of it like there's only one James there's only one James T. Kirk. Yeah, that made no sense to me when he does that. Yes, <laughs> I'm it's like true. how is that supposed to help in this situation? Yeah, no, but and yet, and yet DeForest <laughs> Kelly sells that speech. Oh, it's a great it's like, speech. Yeah, wow, that's really deep. That was a deep. Then you're like, wait a minute, what the? Yeah, yeah, w- exactly. yeah. huh? Yeah. What kind of advice would that be? Acting, Anna. That's acting. <laughs> it's acting. The other thing is. In the two timelines, it's the absence of that older lieutenant on the Romulan side that makes the real difference. Yes, the the the, the sort of older confidant that we see yeah, in, in the, the original episode. Uh, yeah, the centurion, the centurion, yes, exactly. right. who is also wonderful. I can't remember the actor that plays him, but he's yeah. also wonderful in, yeah. that, in that episode. Yeah. And I did read that he might be the uncle of the hothead that calls in the Armada. Ah, okay. Because you know that they have the little speech- in Quality of Mercy, where the captain says, I served with your uncle, and he didn't Oh, have that's to die. correct. That's a nice, that's that's an interesting reference. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. But that seems to be the thing that's the real difference. It's not even the yeah. dovish versus hawkish, because I one of the things that's interesting to me about the way that the first episode plays out plot-wise mm-hmm. is the restraint on both their parts, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, no one, it, how do you engage without engaging? Mm-hmm. It's an interesting like military problem, right? right? Mm-hmm. And they both try to do that. They try they try to not fully engage. And yes, they do. Although the I mean, they do. I the, mean, 
the Romulan ship does launch the attack, yeah. right? Yes, like there's, that's there's... a better way of putting it. They don't want to do it, but they do. But in some cases, they do do it. Yes, right. That's, there that's is they do fire at each other, but there right. is this real a lot of thought and care in it. Yeah. And the only hothead in either episode, <laughs> well, there's Styles, but he doesn't have control yeah. over anything, right? Right. Is the guy that calls in the Armada. Right. So I don't know. Like again, there's so much that works. Right. And I, I grant you I'm nitpicking. And I think I wouldn't have even noticed this if I hadn't watched the two episodes back to back. Like when I first saw that, the finale, I was like, yeah, that's totally Kirk. Makes sense. And But like watching it back to back, I was like, wait a minute. Kirk is a more sober person than this version of the show is, is giving him. That's the only thing yeah. I wanted to point yeah. out. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the last act. The timeline takes a mulligan. Kirk and Pike attempt a pincer movement to cripple the Romulan ship when it enters the comet's tail, but the bird of prey outfoxes them and destroys the Farragut. The Enterprise phasers hit the Romulan ship's engines, but the Enterprise weapon systems are also damaged in the attack. Pike proposes a two-hour truce to the Romulan commander, who accepts. This gives everyone time to prepare, like Kirk can go potentially get reinforcements. A sub-commander, however, sends out a message to Romulus causing the Praetor and the rest of the Romulan fleet to arrive and threaten war and the destruction of the Enterprise. Kirk returns, however, very you know propitiously, with automated mining drones, hoping that the Romulans think that they're a Federation fleet. The Praetor responds by destroying the initial Romulan ship and its crew for showing weakness, and then declaring war on the Federation. The Enterprise escapes, but not without Spock being mortally wounded. Future Pike tells current Pike that because of his choices, the Romulan war has been ongoing. No matter how he alters the prime timeline, Spock dies, and Spock is important to the future of any kind of Romulan Federation peace. Pike then returns to his present and deletes his planned note. All seems well until his lady friend Captain Patel shows up with orders to arrest Number One because she's an Illyrian, thereby violating the Federation's genetic modification laws. Dun dun dun! On a the sort of recent Trek IP, whether we're talking about Lower Decks or Picard Season 3 or Star Trek Prodigy, have trafficked in considerable amounts of fan servicing. And there's a lot of that here, right down to the cut and paste dialogue. And as you point out, the blocking and the lighting and so on and so forth. I do think it's a credit to Strange New Worlds that what intrigued me most about this episode wasn't really the sort of, you know, revisiting of, of Balance of Terror. I mean, I think it pulls that off. But I'm kind of curious what's going to happen to Una and... One of the more amusing things is that it's implied that Pike and La'an kind of hook up in this future timeline. And I kind of want to know if that's how things actually play out. I don't know. I mean, although I do think people who are not Trekkies and who are not very familiar with this IP would enjoy these episodes. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can separate out like how much pleasure I get out of them. From the nostalgia. Yeah. And I, I, and let, let's be clear, there is quality fan servicing here. Like the, the nostalgia really works in the same way that I think it did for the Trials and Tribulations episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So that's fair. Yeah. And I, I do think that Quality Mercy does some cool stuff differently. Mm -hmm. Sort of fixes, talk about retconning. They really sort of yeah. fix some of the things that are awkward or annoying about the first episode. Number one is this annoyed me so much when I rewatched <laughs> Melts yeah. of Terror. When they have the transmission from the asteroid base, yes, the and the stays the, on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the base is destroyed, and then they suddenly show. Oh, look! We're seeing the Romulan ship somehow cloaked from, from the, the point of view of from the, the point of view asteroid. of the destroyed asteroid. Yeah, that was really dumb. Yes, I agree. So yeah, they fix yeah. that. 
Got and good also, for them on that. There is no cuddling of the blonde <laughs> yeoman. Rand, yeoman Rand. I yeah. I confess, I laugh at that every time I, do, I watch I laugh, the episode. But, but, no, 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 it's bad. It's I I I'm laughing at the show. All she's there to do is cuddle. Like that. Is like... But my favorite thing about that is like whenever she's there and like there's a tense moment. It's not just that she's cuddling. Kirk adjusts his body so that they oh, yeah, can yeah, cuddle. Yeah. That's the oh, part yeah. that I find really, it's really for funny. A, it is for a joint cuddle. Like it, yes, it is it's a, a joint cuddle. It's a mutual it's, cuddle. It, it, it's yes. a mutual cuddle. Yes, yes. I, I also really appreciated that in some way this episode retcons the entire Strange New Worlds arc because mm-hmm. something that you and I talk about, I think, in the first half, yeah. we talked about the first half, is of that show, Anson yeah. Mount's portrayal of Pike is just ironic and mm-hmm. like a little bit of a smile to himself the entire time. Like it's, it's commentary. <laughs> it sort of feels like commentary on the idea of a starship captain. Mm-hmm. This episode and sort of thinking through his, his struggle with knowing his future made me see that less as ironic distance and more as like melancholy. Yeah. You know, oh, as yeah. like a, Oh, this is, you know, I, this is what I could have. This is what I'm going to lose. Mm-hmm. Like when he does that stroll around the bridge in the final moments yes. of the Strange New Worlds finale, and everyone's like, "What shot. is he looking at?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's when it sort of it transmutes for me. Like, okay, he's not being ironic. No, like no, he's being wistful almost. Or, he's being yeah. wistful, yeah. yeah, and 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 ambivalent. Like, you know, I love this so much, and that is why I have to. Be and ready I think to let it go. Right. And I think in some ways it actually resolves the the I mean, we'll we'll see going forward if there's any more questions about can he change his fate. But in some ways, at least for now, it puts a, a period on that plot line. It's clear that after the experiences of this episode, he knows that he, you know, he can't really change anything because if he does that, the ones he loved will suffer and and he doesn't yeah. want that. And and not to mention the horrible, you know, galactic implications of it. And I think that makes him at peace with it. I mean, not so that, happy about it, but at peace. Yeah. So that question is answered. I have a question that has not been answered. Oh, I see. And and what is that, Anna? Is there IR in these episodes? Anna, I look around the Discord channel and I see everyone waiting for me to make the next move of international relations analysis. And Anna, what if I'm wrong? <laughs> Not perfect, but I so appreciate the effort. I love you, Shatner. I, and I did know what you were going for, which okay, is when you, yes. in the last analysis, any impersonation, yes. that's really what you're aiming for is just do, do people know what I'm, what I'm trying to do? And I think you definitely. Thank you. When I think just you just need you need a yet more arrogance. I don't think you quite care uh, enough. Like, <laughs> well, this is a hard speech to sound arrogant for because like that, know, is that is yeah. true. That is anyway, true. Anyway, we all have our duties, and mine is to tell you that there is a ton of IR in these episodes. The most obvious, you know, sort of IR, and it's really significant, is the questions of credibility and resolve. So, in some ways, both episodes revolve around the question of if an adversary launches a sort of probing attack, what do you do? In that circumstance, given the fact that you want to avoid a larger war, and yet at the same time, there's an awareness that if you allow the attack to go without, you know, response, that actually could also trigger the larger war. And that's particularly true if there's been a truce for over 100 years. 
It makes sense, by the way, that that long of a truce would cause the Romulans to question the Federation's resolve. In other words, if there's been a sort of great power peace for that long of a period of time, you often wind up seeing an appetite for war. We saw this actually with the start of World War I, which was the sort of first large-scale war in Europe in a century since the Napoleonic Wars. And here, by the way, Stiles and Spock are right, and Ortegas in, in the, the more recent show. If they had let the bird of prey return victorious, it likely would have led to a wider war. Indeed, the Romulan commander pretty much acknowledges that in Balance of Terror. It's pretty obvious. But I am glad, and I again, credit to Balance of Terror. They had a legitimate debate about this. And I actually thought, like, his conversations go, it was a pretty high caliber one in terms of, like, and, and McCoy ends that conversation by telling Jim, you're taking a big risk. And he is taking a big risk. There's no denying that. But that said, I guarantee you, if they had let the ship return without attacking, the Romulans would have attacked in force. This leads to the effects of enduring rivalry. A hot war followed by a century of cold war will have decided effects on how one's views their adversary. They will engage in othering the enemy. From our sort of viewer perspective, we know that's not true, but from their perspective, that's absolutely going to happen. And it also makes it difficult to change a course of action if there's a provocation. And here I will actually recommend a book by Charles Kupchin called How Enemies Become Friends, looking at questions of how enduring rivals, and enduring rivals in modern international relations, take up an awful lot of actually like the total volume of armed interactions in the world. Think Greece and Turkey, or you know, China and Japan or North and South Korea, India and Pakistan. Kupchin's book actually looks at, is it possible for enduring rivals to become friends? And it's not easy, but it potentially can be done. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Anna. But you know what? I, I have a question for you. Yes? Is there a critique of capitalism in these episodes? Dan, the critique of capitalism that comes from smashing these episodes together is savage even by Earth standards. <laughs> knowingly or unknowingly, and probably unknowingly, mm -hmm. I think if you put these episodes together, you get a dramatization of the ways in which capitalism benefits when our options for cultural expression are circumscribed by nostalgia. Or, Ooh. as you might say, fan service. Mm -hmm. So reusing and recontextualizing previous pieces of cultural ephemera mm -hmm. is a refuge mm -hmm. and a trap. You oh. have an escape from the ever-increasing pressures of late capitalism, and that reuse sets limits on your ability to imagine things differently. And indeed, Dan, <laughs> one of the lessons of these episodes is that you cannot change the future. And who benefits more from that idea than the ruling class? <laughs> a more subtle... A but thousand quatloos to Anna for, for that <laughs> amazing insight. Keep going. More subtle, but I do think probably devastating read is that that Strange New Worlds episode kind of locks its fans into the identity of a Trekkie, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And being a Trekkie is a self-commodification. It is a, a declaring your allegiance <laughs> to a product and making that central to your identity, Right. Mm -hmm. And you have to act and celebrate things in accordance to their fidelity to an original text or quote unquote original text, right? Mm -hmm. Because this isn't even an original text. <laughs> this episode in particular, yes. a retelling of Enemy Below. So like I said, knowingly, unknowingly, eh, critique, example, I cannot say. But I enjoyed it. I, I think it's good. And I do yeah. think I... I I, 
I appreciate thinking through fandom. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know, and I, that's in, probably not intentional, but on this show in particular, <laughs> especially since I like to talk about capitalism so much, <laughs> fandom is we encounter it, you know, in, in an everyday way in this modern age is a commodification, right? Like yeah. we are willingly tying our identity to something that I, is only valuable because it's in the marketplace. I do. So I, it's not that I disagree with you, but I do feel like it's worth pointing out that Trek in particular is interesting here because while there is no denying that capitalism, yes, it, it commodifies fan servicing. Trek might be one of those rare areas where the fan servicing preceded the capitalism. In the and you sense know what? That, yeah. Yes, I, you're right. And you've reminded me of something actually super important. Oh, good. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> yeah. Which is Star Trek is where we get fanzines. Mm-hmm. The and, very and- first fanzines were created by people who were fa- by Trekkies. That before was a pre-word Trekkie. Right. And I wrote about fanzines in graduate school, Dan. Oh. <laughs> and my argument about them was that it's a radical thing to do. Yeah. Right. Like it is stealing from from the master. It is st- it, you're stealing something. You're stealing IP. You're create. You're recreating something for yourself. You're appropriating the innovating would be the word to, I would like to what? use. I, I would say it's innovating. Innovating, you know, sure. Is, appropriating, yeah. innovating, yeah. innovating. You're 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 taking back power, right? right? And you're doing more original work than probably whatever it is that you're basing this on. Meaning mm-hmm. you're not doing Adorno stuff, right? Like yeah. you're not just like, you're not the maker of this, just repurposing, right. repurposing, repurposing. No, no, no. This is- you are an artist yourself. The fans yes. become the artists. And that is original and can be radical. That's Especially like- since yeah. those early fanzines, that's also where we get slash fiction, which is really radical. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say, I'm like one question, I, you you might know the answer to this. I kind of wonder what Adorno would have thought of like Star Trek fans, because like I I suspect he would have looked at them with contempt, even though you're right, they don't fit what his logic is. But I, based on what you've said about Adorno, I can't think he would approve. No, oh, he was a fucking sourpuss. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, he okay. was. Yeah, he was an arrogant son of a bitch like i don't think either of us would have enjoyed his company and i'm not sure he would have enjoyed ours oh yeah totally fair but i I, i'm really glad you brought that up because i think trekdom in particular Mm -hmm. is a place where you can point out how fandom doesn't have to be a part of that replication of culture that kills imagination right right i completely agree yeah yeah Captain, the engines, they can't take it anymore. (laughs) I'm not a miracle worker. (laughs) It's discordant notes. Uh, And you you picked up a question from the discord for us to answer. Thank you to Dan Brennan, who asked the following question. Does Star Trek rely too much on the idea that history is based on a handful of great people and not the collective actions of a group? And... Totally fair point, particularly in the Strange New Worlds episode, because essentially what older Pike tells younger Pike is, hey, Spock, super important. You don't want him to die. You're more, you know, you're more expendable. Like we absolutely one thing to think about. And this is the great man theory of history, basically. It's the idea that that history can be pivotal based on a few key leaders. 
And that is a very reductive view of history. There is no denying that. An awful lot of history is, in some ways, much like the racism conversation that Anna pointed out, a lot of it is much more structural than individual. That said, I'm not entirely sure that this is a Star Trek problem as much as a, <laughs> as it's a problem with narrative fiction. I mean, it, in the sense that... It's the main character problem. It's a main character problem. Like, for, for us to care about the main characters, the main characters have to have significance. And so, yeah. I don't... Leave it this way. I agree. It's a bad version of history. I don't begrudge Star Trek or Star Wars or any of these other things. That sort of thing. I will say this might be where one of the reasons why we like Andor so much, because Andor is less about individuals. I mean, there are characters that are important, but Andor in a way that I think we haven't seen in any of the Star Wars shows or even necessarily any of the Star Trek shows really does sort of try to demonstrate the sort of structure of rebellion. Systems. Yeah. It, it's systems. It's about systems. Yeah, exactly. I think that it's a main character problem. I think yeah. that great art tends to subvert the main character problem in some way, mm-hmm. right? Which has, there is a, either there's a self-awareness of like, yeah. oh yeah, there are other people <laughs> who, right. who are the stars of their own movie. Right. Or you get a, a systemic critique. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's an acknowledgement that yes, there are people who are important, who are important in their own lives and important to others, but that the real power here is in the system. I do think it's an interesting subversion of the trope though, that it's Spock who's important. Hmm. Like that he's kind of like, yeah, you're, you, whatever, you live or die. What needs to happen here is Is Spock Spock stays alive. Yeah, no, I agree that like, there is a way in which you, narrative fiction can subvert this by, as you say, making you think, oh, it's this character that's pivotal. Oh no, it's actually this other character that you haven't noticed before or that you weren't expecting is pivotal. And I think in some ways that is the best way that this show copes with that problem. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's fair. What's that? It's debris! Oh, wait, there's a metal encased object in the debris! Don't! Oh, God. oh no! Fire! Alright, now we have radiation burns. It's All the right. debris field. This is when we talk about stuff that we did not get to throughout the rest of the podcast. In this case, Anna, I, I believe you have a pretty lengthy debris field list. I do, because Good. there's just lots of, well, number one, quotable shows yes. both of these episodes are oh, yeah. full of great quotes yeah right there's the one i picked for my intro danger and i are old companions <laughs> i almost used i find myself wishing for destruction before we return but mm-hmm. i thought you might get the wrong idea about <laughs> how i feel about that would have been bad yes exactly that's that's not a great way to open a podcast that's true yeah savage even by earth standards obviously a great line the only way to discover the terrible future is to live it Mm, good line. That is a good line. And then this was another nomination for what I was going to either sign on with or use for introduction to my critique of capitalism, which is I'm old enough. I don't care what people think of me, <laughs> which that is actually not true. I don't think I've gotten quite that old yet. I still I still care a little bit or I just care as much as I ever did, which maybe isn't isn't that much. But to get to uh, something besides quotes. Yes. Do you have I, something, Dan? I, I, the like, actually, or you want to continue the quote fest? No, no, no. The, the two that I, <laughs> I was going to say, the quotes that I liked were in Strange New World. Balance of Terror did this more where like you literally see parallel conversations or statements right. that Kirk makes as a, and the, the Romulan commander. But they do it in Strange New Worlds, too. I did like how, you know, the Romulan commander says, we do not make choices based on ego. And, you know, then, then Pike says pride is just not something we can afford or it's flipped. But like the fact that they both referenced that at the same time, that was again, well done. You can see Kirk's undershirt 
in <laughs> Balance of Terror when he when he leans over, which I think is just a very like '60s thing. Like, uh, oh right, okay. men used to wear undershirts all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Never um, worn an undershirt me, in my life. <laughs> that also made me think about how the younger James T. Yeah, does not have the right build. He's a little. He's wiry. He's a yeah. wiry one. Yeah, he's not. Uh, he's. Like Shatner has a solidity to him. Let's yes. Say. Well, I mean, the other thing is I, that that was one of the odd things about it is that I think in in the Strange New Worlds episode, we're supposed to think that this Kirk is younger and more hot headed. And yeah, and I think and, and for all I know, Paul Wesley might be as old as William Shatner was playing it, but he looks younger in in this episode. And I think he plays I him younger. Still think he should not be quite as wiry. No, I feel like fair one of the one of the things that makes like. Shatner Kirk to me mm-hmm. is that he's like he's he's solid he's yeah. like that's his personality in a way too right, right. like yeah. he just doesn't he doesn't budge mm-hmm. he, he doesn't he he's this he is a um, man who's going to stand his ground and I feel like he could push over James Wesley like in a strong wind so okay one thing I you're going to laugh at this I kind of I like to think that in the 23rd century they've totally worked out the office romance thing. Like one of the oh things God, watching, I was say this one too. One of the things watching <laughs> the original episode is that you know so so Ensign Martine works directly under Lieutenant Thompson. Totally makes sense. Oh, does that they would she get together. ever? <laughs> and you know it was right there, Dan. I uh, no, it's totally fair. <laughs> That was that was binging. It was being worthy. Yeah. But you know, I uh, you know, you, you watching this in the twenty first century, it was like, ooh, I don't know about that. And then I was like, you know what? This is where I'm adopting the optimistic Star Trek perspective. By the twenty third century, they've worked all the the this the, the shit out. Like you it's could totally just somehow works. Yes, it's just somehow exactly. not bad. It's not a thing. <laughs> Is what I'm trying to say. Totally fair. No problems in terms of power inequities or you know sexual harassment. I'm just assuming the Enterprise is a safe space. What do you have on? Again, I have just a ton of stuff that, okay. that partially is just observations about the limitations of the old Star Trek. But I get I, apparently that Romulan ship is very small. Yeah, like it yeah. just has the one room, right? right. Yeah. That I also liked the idea that maybe there's no sick bay on a Romulan ship because, like, you just fucking die, man. You get injured. That's on, that's on you. Like you, you call the weak on. <laughs> I mean, that's how it works. By the way, that was a great line when you hear the Praetor say it's a culling. That actually, like, that was, yeah, it was very yeah. sinister. Okay, speaking, all right, so if we're going to talk about the original series, one of the things I kind of liked, and, like, I, I'm actually a little disappointed Strange New Worlds doesn't do this. I loved how when the Enterprise fires its phasers, the lights dim. Like, it reminded me of, like, the old, like, thing where, like, if you use the microwave in the 80s, like, it would dim, <laughs> like, the other the lights in the house or something or, you know, whatever. Like, I, I actually thought that was really kind of good, and I wish they had kind of kept it for Strange New Worlds. I did notice that both episodes have a lot of method eyebrow acting. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And then I, I went back and looked at trivia for both of them. And according to IMDb, it's the first single eyebrow raise. Oh, for, for, Spock. for Spock in Strange in New series. Worlds. In, in Strange yeah. New Worlds or in Balance Fair? Okay, okay. Yeah. In Strange New Worlds. Okay, all right. So, I, but but I, I think in general, there's some great eyebrow work happening. Speaking of which, so I do love, like, Leonard Nimoy's expression when they first see the Romulans 
is priceless. Nimoy's face is like, oh, vey, this is going to be a problem. It's like, it, I mean, <laughs> it, it's not impassive at all. It's like, oh God, I, you know, it, it's just very his human side. It, like, his totally human side like... comes out there where it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a thing, isn't it? But, I'll, but I also want to, by the way, give props to Ethan Peck, who plays Spock in Strange yeah. New Worlds. It cannot have been easy to take this kind of iconic role, but he has taken it and he's really made it it's his own. It's it's a great performance. And I, you know, it it's legitimately enjoyable. It's interesting to say take made it his own, right? Because yeah, he's, I, yeah. he's he's it's an original character that's true to the character that he's going to become. Right. It manages to be true both to Nimoy, but also he's adding something to it. And that that's yeah. what makes it interesting. Or you realize it's compl- as we become different people as yeah. we age, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. you see that this is not the same exact person. Exactly. But you can see that this person will become yeah. the Spock that we, we know and love. Yeah. A quibble, perhaps. Okay. But why destroy a perfectly good starship just to execute a captain. Yeah, that did strike. Uh, uh, you know what? I will give an IR answer to that, which is okay. one reason right. you do that is to send a signal. In other words, if you're trying to, to show the Federation- that we have lots of ships? Yeah, they, no. <laughs> okay. One of the ways you send a signal is by taking an action that is costly to yourself. It demonstrates okay. right. how serious you are. So like, I, I know you're right. Like I had the same reaction. I can see within the Romulan logic why they would have I mean, done that as a way it's to like we have we have so many ships yeah. waiting for us back home. We it's a way to care. terrify the Federation. Although, of course, to be fair, for that to actually have worked, if they would have had to have known that the Enterprise was going to escape since they still tried to shoot it down. In that context, it doesn't make any sense. So, I'll, I back to your original point there. Again, we in some ways when we talk about the original show, you know, whether or not it's it's truly radical or not, this was a small thing. And but the way they shot it clearly made it clear that in the 1960s this was pretty radical. Do you remember? There's a moment where Uhura has to take over navigation, and she leaves her communication station and she goes and like she's driving the ship. And it wasn't a big deal, but like it was shot in a way so that you're noticing that a black woman is suddenly you know steering the ship. And I know that like you know this goes back to this this story that we know Nichelle Nichols felt stifled by this role. She didn't get to do a lot. That's absolutely true. Martin Luther King Jr. tells her, no, 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 you need to stay on this show. And moments like that, which are not huge moments, but they matter. You know, that was a radical act in the 1960s, I would suggest again. Yeah. It shouldn't have been, but it was. Yeah. Yeah. This is not really one of my points and just sort of a, a, a strange, not strange, but a funny thing to think about is that that's George Takai. That's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. activist <Yes. laughs> and social media personality. George Takai, look, he used to be an actor. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> he was an actor on that show. He was on that? Star Trek, yeah. <laughs> He's all serious and shit in that in that, that, that conference room. You know, pretty big deal. Do you have anything else? I have one more thing after this. I only have one more thing too, which is to say, I love Anson Mount's read oh, of God. the preroration. Like, you know, like when, when Shatner does it, it's very like over the top. When, when Patrick Stewart did it for Next Generation, also over the top. Like, as you pointed out, with Anson Mount, he under reads it like it's not like but it but it really works it's like classic gen x you know he's our captain damn it he is our captain yes i maybe i have two more things because i i love anson mount so much yeah like i just watching this i was like he's just so sexy like and charismatic in a way i believe i texted you that shatner thought he was yes (laughs) (laughs) 
But with Shatner, there was always kind of a sweatiness to his like charisma. Like he's trying. He was thirsty. To be charismatic. Yeah, Shatner. Yeah, was he's thirsty. thirsty. He's yeah. a thirsty, sexy guy. Yeah. Whereas Anson Mount, like even though he's clearly spent a lot of time on his hair, like it's effortless somehow. Yeah. Like and he's that's just the, like yep. He has the best hair in the quadrant, Anna. I mean, like that hair is still every time. If if we talk about Stranger Worlds going forward, every, every scene time he walks in, like, that I'm hair just, is like, just that a is, goddamn miracle. Like that's it. It's just amazing. Yeah. Yep. Make him admiral now, <laughs> just because of that hair. Yep. But th- then the other thing is n- is a callback to uh-huh. a previous episode of ours, which oh, is: okay. Did you notice Severance Cam when uh, Pike goes into the sick bay to realize that what he has wrought? Yeah. They do the the same trick with camera, the camera that they do in Severance when they make the background recede and come back it's like oh, you change the depth that. of focus ah, okay. around the mm-hmm. actor in 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 severance they do it just once when the person comes down the elevator right. to their any personality oh yeah 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 when they go down, yeah the tight end on adam scott right. but with this they just keep it on him and it sort mm-hmm. of keeps happening it's actually a little i don't know if it quite works <laughs> they overdo it a little bit but i was like oh it's like it's a, it's a severance camera trick by the way this wasn't a huge deal but I, i'll close on one thing which is the only criticism i have of this episode from the strange new worlds with well, a couple of criticisms but i would have liked to have seen more nurse chapel like one of the great things about strange new worlds is the way in which they've rescued that character from unfortunately and i don't blame Angel barrett for this you know in in the original nurse chapel's not a great character in the the original mm. series but in this no. one she's a lot of fun I think it's Corey Bush who plays her. Yeah. yeah. I think we talked about this when we talked about the original the, episode. Uh, for the original, uh, Strange New Worlds. Uh, yeah. Strange New Worlds first half mm-hmm. of the season, which is the female and non-binary yes. characters on this show are in general, like, I mean, you can't help but improve, but they're some of the best, I think, we've oh, yeah. seen in the Star Absolutely. Trek yeah. universe. I mean, Janeway, you know, got a love. Kira. Has it, has it. But I still, I really like yeah. these characters. And I, I guess I like them especially because in the context of the show, they take place before, right? right? So they're like leading And in away. some ways, it's the best kind of <laughs> retconning that that, the, that this version of Trek can do, yeah. which is to, you know, is to remind everyone that, yes, even though the original Star Trek was progressive, let's actually make it, you know, more species yeah. and, and more sexual preferences and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I agree with that. This was really fun, it was. man. I I appreciate it a lot. I you know, Baprol was fun as well. Yeah. And I love yellow jackets and I like going to see big dub movies. Mm-hmm. But this like kinda hit me in the feels, yeah. as the kids say. No, these were good episodes of television. That was the other thing. It was enjoyable to watch these things and you know, and, and love them, yeah. I think would be the way to put it. Yeah. Not problematic. Yeah. Not like yellow jackets. <laughs> no. <laughs> The jackets, which I literally watch between my fingers. Yes, I do that too. <laughs> <laughs> or I grab a pillow and just sort of hold it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Dan. People can become patrons at patreon.com slash space the nation. If you have already a patron or can't become one or don't want to become one, but still love the show for whatever reason, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And then if you're on a social media platform, <laughs> Any blue sky I hear is supposed to be a thing, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, We're at space, the nation on TikTok, by the way. I don't know how that was available, but (laughs) probably because it's a a dumb name. It is not a dumb name. (laughs) It's it's a great name. It's a great name So we are at space, the nation on TikTok and 
follow us there and tell your friends and neighbors. And until next time, keep this channel open for more.